Hey guys, welcome back to the Move, Eat and Re-Energize podcast show where we sit down and have conversations with interesting and inspiring legends about mindset, movement, nutrition and bringing more energy into your day. This week, I'm catching up with Darren Maroney again. This is our third time we've caught up and we kick off this episode with Darren sharing what he's learned from his body temperature and food experiment and then we sort of shift into how to quantify and use results objectively to see what's working for you. We also go a bit Tarantino here and go off on a few tangents and get a bit random. So I actually really enjoy these conversations because Darren and I can just sort of sit down and cover a lot of topics and just go over a broad spectrum. But if you would like us to cover something specific, please shoot us an email and or a message on CJ Rubric Facebook page and we'll cover that over one of these episodes. Now let's sit back and enjoy this week's episode. All right, so I'm back with Darren and we're back for, this is number three. Yeah, number three and the, other, the last time we talked, we talked about some stuff that we've been doing ourselves and what we're working on at the moment. And Darren's been doing the body temperature thing from Matt Stone's books. Matt Stone, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so what's been going on? What's been happening with that? Well, it's interesting. Like, um, you know, we mentioned before that, you know, I think having a little bit of objectivity in uh, what you're doing rather than just accepting what other people have told you that, you know, this is, this is the way things work and, you know, you should do this or you should do that. I think uh, the experimentation stuff is, I think, um, I think key so that you can draw your own conclusions rather than yes. just accepting um, what, you know, so-called gurus or experts uh, are telling you. Obviously, as we've mentioned before, there's principles and foundations of things, but, you know, there's a lot of grey in between that. These aren't black and white. Um, you know, not all of them are, are completely black and white. I mean, obviously, some of them are things like energy balance and stuff like that. But then inside that, you know, everybody has you know different reactions to certain foods and eating at certain times of the day and, and, and yeah. what have you. So, so it's kind of like we've got the principles, and then the way to achieve those principles is kind of where the variation comes from and like was it like kelly starrett and he talks about special snowflakes and then jay teeter who i've been following a bit lately and he said he basically talks about everyone's got their own type of metabolism where this way of eating is going to suit them but it might not suit the person standing next to you and the way of training he also says the way you train and the intensity you train will suit you versus somebody else so it's pretty cool, like the objectivity and like we were just talking about it off air before that n equals one stuff, which we just found the meaning is totally wrong to what everyone uses it for. But putting systems in place where you try things and is you see if it's working for you, and if it's working for you, then you can keep doing it despite what other people might be telling you. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's it, you've got to get feedback, or as some people like to call it feed forward because. You know, you're never going backwards. You're always learning something. You know, yeah. I, I can hang on to this or, you know, I'll just put that to the side. That it may not be suitable right now, but there's no reason why I can't come back to it at a later, a later date or you just get rid of it altogether because it's just not suitable for you or sustainable or, you know, it just doesn't, you know, you may not be in the right, you know, position or place at the moment for that to be really suitable for you. So, you know, and for me, like with the, the whole um, body temp thing and, and just, you know, looking more into metabolism, peeling back the layers a little bit more because 
obviously when you ask people what metabolism is, I mean, most people's interpretation of it is, you know, it's just how many calories I burn on a daily basis, which is true. You know, that's your, you know, you've got things like your basal metabolic rate and then you've got, you know, your total daily energy expenditure and all those things that you can calculate. But, you know, your metabolism is the sum of a lot of other processes inside your body. I mean, at its, at its you know, most basic point, it's, you know, basically all the cellular activity inside your body, you know, and whatever processes they're involved in, whether it's digestion, whether it's energy production, whatever it may be, you know, that's all part of that, that machine that, that makes you function every day. And from the reading that I've been doing, with, as we mentioned with Matt Stone, but, you know, a, a lot of other people um, as well have, you know, spoken about metabolism is, you know, things like your body temperature is one of the greatest indicators of um, how well your metabolism's working. Um, and that's something that I've been, um, you know, just with a simple thermometer first thing in the morning, sometimes in the middle of the day, depending on um, whether I remember or not, um, and generally at the end of the day after a meal. And then, you know, just in putting it into my phone and just getting a bit of a, an average and just seeing, you know, what also the kinds of foods that you eat, um, what effect that has on your, your body temperature as well. So that's been really interesting. So what have you found for you? Well, I, I found um, um, last week um, I had to uh, drive down to um, Mornington on the Mornington Peninsula to pick up some stuff down there. And I had my son with me. He had a, a, um, a day of school and um, we were coming back. So I had to get some petrol for the car. And I thought, oh, you know, I didn't have any plan for lunch. So I, I do what you know, thousands of other people do and just get some takeaway from... Um, the golden arches, and I I ate that, and then about an hour later, I took my um, body temperature, and it's the highest I've recorded in all of the since I've been doing this, which is probably almost probably about a month now. And yeah, wow. my body temperature came back at thirty seven point six, which I'd not um, come anywhere near that. And from what I'm understanding, with um, a lot of the stuff with metabolism, things that are high in salt. Like fat in them, sugar in them, will elevate your metabolism because they're the, the three ingredients that are crucial uh, ingredients in a healthy metabolism. As much as we like to be told with low-fat approaches and you know restrictive dieting and, and things like that, that your, your body functions really well when it has um, elements of those three ingredients in your diet somewhere. Now, that's not. I'm not saying that that's licensed to go out and eat McDonald's. Um, all the time <laughs> and stoke your metabolism up. But it was an interesting bit of uh, feedback um, that um, it really uh, rocketed my body temperature up. And that was that was an hour after eating it. So it wasn't an instantaneous effect. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, we had some fish last week and I measured my body temperature after that and it was oh, in the high 36s. Which is not, you know, that, that's not an unhealthy um, level of um, metabolic activity, but it's just very different uh, for me effect on what my body temperature was. Now, whether it's got to do with the, you know, that fish um, has a lower thermic effect than, say, something like steak or meat, uh, just because of the, 
obviously the density of it and how long it takes your body to to um, you know break it down and all that sort of stuff. So that's been interesting and you know, it's it's actually quite consistent when I look at the uh, statistics, like taking your body temperature first thing in the morning when you're in a fasted state. Uh, you haven't been doing anything. Um, you haven't eaten any food. You haven't drunk anything. And consistently, my, my body temperature has been in the low 36s, around 36.3, 36.4, 36.5. And then once I've eaten something, it, it gets up um, more towards that 37 degrees, which most people would, would probably know is, you know, sort of average body body temperature. And then, again, if I've had um, something with salt, sugar or fat in or a combination of that, it generally tends to be a bit higher. So, yeah, that's been probably the most interesting um, thing that I've noticed so far. Yeah, it's pretty cool because, like, a while ago I followed um, Don Kiefer's carb backloading thing and yeah. he talked about being high protein, low fat during the day and then putting in very, very palatable meals, fat, salt, sugar at dinner time with protein as well. But basically going junky but not super crazy at dinner time to stoke the metabolism again, go to sleep, get into a high fat burning zone and then spend the day in the fat burning zone and then do that repeat again the next night. Yeah. Super cool how that sort of all the like he used the same thing, even though he's come around and changed a bit and tells people not to go as junky as what he was telling people to do. But it's interesting how these two sort of combine together. And like, it's definitely true when that fat, salt, sugar makes your metabolism go crazy because it's trying to break it all down for you. And but it's also it's things like the mitochondria in your, in your, the energy, um, like produced inside your cells, it loves you know, fat, salt, sugar, like, but they're, I mean, obviously with sugar because it's carbohydrate, it's, it's our, um, as much as some other people would like to argue that it's not, you know, uh, a required um, macronutrient in our diets, but our bodies love it. Like, it, it it's an, you know, it can be broken down easily. Um, it provides energy very quickly um, and, you know, for myself, if we're looking back at that N equals one, from my point of view, that um, when when I do have um, you know meals that that do have you know some salt and and it's not always those three combinations either. It can be um, you know just something with a bit of bit of extra salt in it or something with some fat in it. You know that it, it tends to keep you warm and you know, some other interesting things which I hadn't even considered until I was sitting down the other night and I took my shoes off. And and I apologise if anybody finds what I'm about. This <laughs> going to be really really gross. But I found before I started this, I used to get fairly bad blisters on my feet, like from just being on my feet all day. Didn't matter what shoes I was wearing, how thick the socks were. Um, I found since I started doing this that I'm not getting blisters on my feet anymore. Really? And like I'm, I'm not I'm not um, I can't categorically say that that is the one reason, but that's been the greatest change um, dietary-wise and just something, you know, that I think whether it's coincidental or not, um, you can make your own mind up. But, you know, I'm not going to be um, using it as a, uh, as a sales pitch to try and sell my uh, sugar, fat, salt program. But um, <laughs> from a personal um, perspective, 
that's been one of the unexpected things that I've noticed that, you know, I'm not, um, you know, I'm not getting blisters on my feet. So, you know, I'm hoping that that's, that, you know, just with improved blood flow, you know, my hands and my feet uh, don't seem to get cold in with the cold um, today. Like I took my body temperature earlier today and it was sitting at 37, even yeah. with it being only in the low teens here in, in Melbourne. And, you know, one of the, the big things about if you do go on a low-fat diet, like a fairly low-fat diet, you will find that you're, you, you know, one of the byproducts of that that a lot of people find is cold hands and feet. Yeah. Yeah, my always during winter, because I've done low-fat diets a fair bit for a while. Yeah, my toes would get so numb, I would have to like stick like stick them in hot water when I come home after working in the gym. Even if I've got thick socks on, they would still get to the point where I'd almost lose feeling in my toes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's the, from my point of view, that's been um, one of the, the more unexpected um, side effects of what I've been doing. Um, now, when we're talking about, like, um, if I have a cup of tea, I'll, I'll put maybe a teaspoon of sugar in it. You know, and what I'm saying here is the experiments that I've done. Like for some people, that, that if they do have issues with sugar, salt, and fat, then you know they may not be very interested in hearing what I've, what I've got to say. But um, you know, I think as, as long as you're, you're still moderate with it, you know, this is not a recommendation at all. Just to go, you know, crazy with with all that sort of stuff, but. I can't argue with the, the effect that it's had for me on my body temperature. Like it, uh, the other night, like after a big steak meal, like um, it was quite cool down here and I didn't need the extra blanket on the bed because I was roasting. <laughs> I, uh, I, I actually felt really, really hot. I could feel it. Like it was, it was like this heat radiating um, down the full length of my body. It was quite interesting. And I know we talked about it before where, and people get like protein sweats and meat yeah, sweats yeah. and all that sort of stuff, and you know, um, yeah. So it's 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 an experiment. I'm going to continue and just um, try different things and see how you know what their impact is on on me. And like, I'll still eat fish, but I'll find other ways to get some um, you know maybe some salt in there or or some extra fat somehow, even if it's just putting a you know. Um, a dressing or something on there that has some some fat in it, you know, just so that you, you know, and I guess for me, I'm I'm not so concerned about um, fat loss and things like that. So you know, I, I don't get too caught up in the you know, the idea that I can I can have moderate amounts of that and it, it's still having a, a positive benefit on my um, metabolism, which is one of the greatest indicators of a healthy body is. You know, if you're you're nice and warm all the time, you know that your your body's operating at a fairly um, high level. Yeah. If you're having a rug up all the time, put two pairs of socks on when you go to bed, stuff. You, you know, you, your body may be telling you something that maybe it doesn't align with the goals, but you know, at some stage you, you're going to have to um, listen to it because no amount of um, you know warm clothing or anything like that will you know would probably help. I suppose we should bring you back around, I reckon, to let's give people ideas of how they can test different things on themselves and what kind of tests work really well. So we'll talk about nutrition because this is what we're talking about now. So 
what's some simple stuff people can do with the super, everyone knows a super simple thing. What do you think of body weight as a way to measure your success or not having success on a fat loss diet? Uh, look, obviously, I mean, if you want to take your composition and, and all that sort of stuff, I mean, I've been less inclined to worry about that stuff. And I've just, my, my greatest feedback for me has been that $3 thermometer. Yeah. Um, on days where I haven't eaten enough, um, like the other day at work, I left half my lunch at home um, and I got to work and, um, you know, I'd noticed the impact there because I just didn't have um, the amount of food that, that I normally eat. But the food that I'd left at home was like um, homemade baked beans that we had and it had large chunks of bacon in. So, you know, you've got salt in there, you've got, you've got fat in there as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I, that... I noticed when I took my body temp that day that it was probably three or four degrees lower than it had been on average just because, you know, um, I didn't have that, that sort of food in there. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, I think it can be a, 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 t- a tough one, especially if you do have a weight loss goal and or if you have been heavily dieting um, for a long time, that eating more... And actually eating more fat and eating more salt and sugar may be a very difficult thing for you to get to wrap your head around. That yeah. You almost, kind of, you almost have to put weight on and and uh, increase your um, metabolism that way and not through um, stupid amounts of exercise and, you know, um, and... To be honest, I mean, weight training has always been promoted as a way to stoke up your metabolism. But when you actually look into the science behind it, the increase in your actual metabolic activity is not as high as the marketing would like to make us think. No. Um, and things like the afterburn effect, which was a big thing that um, certain people have, uh, have almost built their careers on, um, is nowhere near as... Uh, while it, it, it does, you know, last for up to 48 hours... When you actually look at the increase, it's actually quite small. You know that you can cancel it out with uh, one extra snack or, or meal a day, and that, that afterburn effect is pretty much cancelled out. So, um, I guess what we're trying to say too is like, when do if you were going to do this body temperature thing, this is like an advanced skill. Once you've probably yeah. started, you've achieved results, you got to a certain level, and now you're like, what what can it's actually probably a good way to figure out what you can get away with. Yeah. Well, how much food can you eat, maintain the results you've got, and how much can you, well, in your case, how much can, what kind of foods can you eat and how much can you eat to stoke your metabolism while staying yeah. as lean as you want to stay? Yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, this is not um, taking away from the emphasis on eating mostly whole, um, unprocessed foods. But you, um, you may need to add things to it because things that, that have a, a fairly high um, water content but they don't have any fat um, or sugar. When I say sugar, I'm talking about naturally occurring sugar, um, not necessarily added sugar. Um, they can tend to have a cooling effect on the body just because of their high water content. So... You know, it, it may be finding ways, like I said, with um, with the fish, was to maybe look at adding a dressing, maybe whether it's to a side salad or, you know, um, something 
that you could add to the fish just to, you know, maybe pump up the fat content a little bit. Yes. You know, if you're not getting those those good fats in there, the you know, your omega-3s and, and all that sort of stuff, then maybe you could look at, you know, ways of getting in there, whether it's, you know, with some avocado, which I guess as we get into the colder months, it's probably not the best because it just gets more and more expensive now that the uh, warmer weather's uh, gone. All right, so I reckon we'll keep, go back to what we were talking about before. So let's really give people some takeaways on what stuff they can do to check if something is working for them. Well, you need to find something that's going to give you um, feedback. You know, yeah. You know, when, when people ask about uh, if, you know, if we step away from diet for a while and look at like um, exercise or training, you know, if it's in the gym, are you getting stronger? You know, yeah. Uh, so are you lifting more simple uh, test? Are you getting are, stronger? Are you are you lifting or not necessarily increasing the weight, but are you are you able to um, punch out more reps with the same weight? Because if you are, that's an increase um, as well. So you know, those sort of sort of things that give you an, an insight into whether what you're doing is having that desired effect. So it's kind of. The good way for that one, instead of instead of thinking like more weight, etc., what we're kind of talking about is total volume for the thing yeah. you're doing. So if you'll yeah. say, say we'll just use bench press as an example, but you can do push-ups or whatever. Say you're doing 50 kilos and week one you did three sets of five, which is 15 reps. So you times 50 by 15 and it gives you the total volume. Yeah. And then if you come back the next week, if you get one kilo heavier overall that's you increasing your strength and then if you continue improving the total volume of whatever it is you're doing over time whether it's through going heavier doing less reps or going lighter doing more reps usually it's the volume per week that makes the biggest difference overall and that's a simple way of figuring it out yeah and um yeah and that's where i think sometimes too that you know with especially with uh training and stuff is that you've got to stick with it for a bit, like that's what I um, with this temperature stuff is. Um, I've been doing it for about a month now, but I'm going to continue doing it because you know I just I I haven't been doing it for long enough for to give me a big enough picture on what's on what's going on. How well. long do you How long do you recommend people stick to stuff? My usual things like twelve weeks. Yeah, like it's it's what's going to be sustainable and doable for you. Like if you look at your schedule and. You know, you think that for the next couple of months you've got a pretty clear schedule as far as you know work and family commitments and stuff. Then you know you can probably you know stick with it. But um, yeah, it's it's going to I guess it's going to change on a personal basis. But you know, for, for you know when I still was one on one training clients, you know I used to work in you know between sort of four to eight week blocks as far as training went. Um, you know, also too, it's you know, it's going to come down to how much you're enjoying your training. Like if you if you're not enjoying it, then you know you may need to change something there and just forget about the results for a little bit until you find something that you actually can stick with as well. So you know, there's a lot of variables in there that are going to contribute to um, the kind of results that you get. And I guess um, you know the sustainability of it as well, where. You know, obviously, as I said with the, the whole body temperature thing is that, you know, it wasn't licensed to, to eat whatever I could 
shove in my gob, whether it was chocolate or, or you know, salty chips or whatever. It, it was just more just, you know, small changes here and there and just, you know, manipulating the um, small things and just seeing how they, how they work. Because, you know, sometimes they may have a negligible effect, whereas other times it, it has a massive effect. So, you know, it's, I guess we're, we're pl- playing the kind of longer game as well, so that it, you know you've got your longer term goals in mind, but then you've got those um, the shorter term stuff. I, I don't know with your programs. Do you have like I know try and get away from jargon, but you know you talk about macro cycles, um, yeah. meso cycles, and all those breaking it down into you know you've got your long term goal, then you've got sort of a medium term goal, and then you've got short term stuff. Do you use a lot of that approach in your coaching or? The way I do it is pretty much we sort of everything we build in is based about the long term, but yeah. using like you did this um, course as well, but do you remember that in OPT, the activation stage? Yeah. So basically I focus on getting that activation. So people are listening. When you go into a PT, you say, sometimes you don't say this, but basically there might be, uh, I want to lose five kgs and they might say, that's good. We need to build all these systems in and need to have like build systems that you're going to do for life and all this kind of stuff. And all you're in your head is probably still thinking five kgs, five kgs, five kgs, because that's just the thing in your head that you want. And unless you get it, you will probably look elsewhere to get what you want. Now within reason, as long as it's a healthy goal, I reckon it's like our job as the PT to get that activation as soon as possible and then show you how to keep that whatever that result was for the rest of your life. So I kind of look at milestones now instead of like macro, micro and all those kinds of things. So basically soon activation, depending on how long it should take to get it. I look at four week milestones and are we on the right track? And then once we achieve the goal, then all I'm about, because most people I train have nothing to do with any kind of sports thing or anything like that. So that stuff doesn't really matter for them. It's yeah, I, was the, I was the same. Like most of most of the clients that I had didn't play regular sports, so you know, sport didn't really impact on. Nah. So basically, um, mine was always about the principle. Let's build in these habits of movement outside a gym. So if the gym fails for some reason where you can't go, you still got this high base of movement anyway. Yeah. And then nutrition principles, which is like. Proteins, fats, veggies in nearly every single meal, the PN model and carbs after training. But generally, once they achieve the goal, we bring carbs in more because they're in maintenance mode. Yeah. And then just emptying the stress cup. So showing them how to come back with the most energy every day. So basically, the whole system is about how to do this after you achieve the goal. So we want, I want the activation for them. Like I want to get them as soon as possible, as quick as possible, safely to the goal they want. And then afterwards or on the way there. And then definitely afterwards we show, or I show how to continue doing it long-term and making it, we use that red light, yellow light, green light, but making it as the minimalist approach. Like even if you have your worst day, this is what you can do and still keep what you've got. And that way, if they had a really good day, they can. Anyone who's got a good day can do whatever they like because you've got so much energy and room to do stuff. I kind of focus on the worst day. What does your worst day look like? All right, this is how much we can do on your worst day. If you show up on those days, which happens more often than not, it, they should achieve their goals faster. That's the idea. 
Yeah, because um, what I think of going forward for myself is like, um, I mean, obviously I'll get to a point where I'll I'll know what food affects me in, in what way. So that it'll become less about you know um, you know regularly taking my body temperature because I've kind of worked out within the sort of regular diet that I've got what food has what effect and what how I can manipulate some of those other variables to make sure that I'm, I'm keeping that um, that temperature high. Yep. And one of the other things that I've also been um, looking into is, you know, that I think um, we overhydrate. Yeah. And I found that, you know, the, the, the whole idea of us carrying around large... Um, containers of water and we're just constantly guzzling water down like and it was an interesting point that uh, I read about like if you're dehydrated and you go to the hospital um, or even it made me think back to when playing cricket in in summer that you know blokes weren't given uh, water if they were dehydrated that you know I remember blokes playing cricket used to take salt tablets yeah and if you go to the hospital and you're dehydrated they give you saline because that redresses the balance, the chemical balance, because that's what's happened, obviously, with the, the dehydration is that the salt has been leached out because of the, the, the chemical imbalance, and you've got to get that salt balance back in because that gets the blood volume back up. Like It has all these cascading uh, effects so that you, know, you get back to um, you know, being in a more hydrated state, whereas in that dehydrated state, if you add water in there, you know, and your veins blow up and you, you end up with real problems. So it's interesting that if you did um, you did um, you know, go to the hospital or, or anything like that, that they won't give you water yet. We're being told to drink gallons and gallons of bloody water every day and carry around giant water bottles when, you know, um, if dehydration takes, takes place, you know, from a medical point of view, they will give you saline and not not just pure water. So that's another reason why uh, sort of having that, those salt levels in there still um, ha- has been an emphasis as well. And that I'm not being so focused on drinking um, all the time but trying to tap into those dehydration signals because your dehydration signals are, are much stronger than hunger signals. I mean, you can last a lot longer without food than you can without water. So I think... In some areas, we've been um, conditioned to uh, think that um, we're we're not drinking enough water. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 interesting, um, and you know, I'm drinking a lot more tea than I did before. But I'm adding milk and sugar to it to try and keep that fat and and sugar content up. So. Sorry, man. I'm back. Cool. <laughs> so everyone who's listening, I just had to go get Theo. He just woke up and decided he wanted to get out of bed, didn't you? Um, where were we up to? <laughs> I, was just, I was just talking about um, how I've sort of started to change my thinking a little bit on um, you know how much water I was drinking throughout the day. And yes. That, you know, we've kind of been conditioned to think that we're we're dehydrated all the time that we've got to be drinking litres and litres and litres of water every day when what we're actually doing over consuming water is actually slowing our metabolisms down because 
once if you overhydrate, then your metabolism will slow down because of the cooling effect of the water. It's it's changing the the, the balance. Um, yeah, um, it's sort of so the owner of Onnit, Audrey Marcus, Audrey Marcus, he brought out his book recently, which is like own the day, own your life kind of thing. And basically talks about how to put like this one perfect day together. He gives you a template and he's like, give it one day and see how you feel. And one of the things he did was the talked about hydration and sort of the same thing. And he talked about a drink he has in the morning, which is basically super simple, sea salt, water and lemon. And just have like 250 mils of that before you drink anything else and just let it sink in. And I've been doing that for, it's funny, it's something I was doing ages ago and stopped doing because it works so well and I brought it back in after listening to his audio book and it's amazing how much of a quick difference it made to me energy-wise through the day from just having more, like the hydration went up because I started the day with a salty lemon drink that made me able to retain whatever I was drinking instead of just flushing it through me. Well, because that's the thing, like, I mean, if you overhydrate, then you pass most of it out anyway. And the other thing too is like we've sort of been told that you know, especially the colour of your urine needs to be this light yellow colour, whereas what I'm starting to find when um, I'm putting less of an emphasis on the actual volume of water I'm drinking and drinking more when my body tells me that I'm thirsty, which again is a, is a skill to, to practise because you know it's like knowing when you've had enough to eat. Like... That can be a, a, a challenging skill for a lot of people to try and master as well. So, you know, getting used to the fact that it, it, I, I don't feel any worse for not drinking anywhere near as much water throughout the day. Now, my urine's a, a kind of a brighter yellow, more yellow colour now, but um, it, I don't, in, in the four weeks I've been uh, focusing on this, I don't feel any worse. Um, I don't seem to have less energy. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not suffering. My training's not suffering. Um, you know, I'm not seeing any downturn in the amount of strength that I've, that I've got. So, you know, um, yeah, so again, if, if I'm using myself as that single um, participant, then that's working for me and I'm going to continue to do it until it stops working. Yeah. And it's kind of, I do the same thing, but I use a, I use my P test. I just look at my pee, what's the colour, how much water do I need to drink before my next meal, I guess, and I base it off that. If it's super fluoro, like you could see it from the moon, <laughs> sure everyone would probably want to hear about this, but yeah, if I can see it from the moon, I need to have more water. And it's usually because I've gone into a bad habit of drinking more coffee since having we've had Theo, just because yeah. of sleep patterns and everything. So I need to curb that habit eventually. But the... Yeah, I basically just change it meal to meal based on whatever my pee is between meals. If it's super bright, more water. If it's starting to get clear, like not full clear, but if it's starting to get like that, I don't know, what would you call it, light beer colour. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that's pretty good. I'm happy with that. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, and I'm, I'm the same. It's like also the number of um, you know, times you have to go. I'm finding when I'm focusing on this, like I'd probably maybe go – maybe once every four hours, three to four hours. Whereas yeah. you know, when I was chugging down a lot of water, I mean, you're going every hour and it's like, yeah, it, yeah it's, it's not, it's not serving any, 
any real benefit for you apart from just over hydrating and, <laughs> yeah. um, and working your pelvic floor muscles <laughs> yeah well, <laughs> i guess you know there's some benefit there but um i think the next thing i'm going to focus on um which i've been i don't know if i mentioned last time i spoke to you there's a, a coach at the ian king is an australian guy and yeah you were talking about that but get going still and he's like he's a bit of a um i guess you could call him a rebel but um he's he's the today's talk was sort of um inspired by you know some of the um the coaching videos of his that I've been watching and he talks about objectivity and how, you know, our job as coaches is not to convince people of anything. It's just to ask questions and try and understand why people are doing certain certain things, not to stand in with your arms folded and say, no, that's wrong, that's wrong, but, you know, what has led you to this conclusion? You know, what was your thinking process behind this? That, you know, if you're using your own experience and your own client's experience to form the programs that you're delivering, and the systems that you're using, then that's a much more sustainable way of doing it rather than just, um, you know, sort of rope following whatever the, the expert or the guru at the time is and what, whatever they're saying that, that you should be doing rather than, you know, trying things out yourself and coming to your own conclusions and, you know, having the confidence to, to say, look, I've done this with multiple people and it works, it's worked really well, so I'm going to continue to do it rather than just accepting what 95% of most people do. And, you know, it, it makes him a bit, bit of a divisive figure in, you know, the sort of fitness circles, I think, because he calls out, you know, what he sees as bullshit and, um, you know, what trends he's seen in the fitness industry, which he thinks are quite um, damaging as far as, you know, the health of clients and athletes. So that's been... Um, very interesting and one of the biggest things that he really focuses on is flexibility which is going to be my next um that's the next uh test that i'm i'm going to look at working on is in um improving my my uh flexibility and making that a, a big focus because um you know without the ability to move and, and move well everything else is is you know is going to be hampered yeah, sort of like that whole FMS thing, building strength on top of a dysfunction. Yeah, like, you know, that, you know, if you can't maintain your body in a certain position while you, 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 you're, uh, you're moving, then, you know, that's, that, that's not good for you. And another thing he was talking about, is especially with coaching of certain movements, like Olympic movements and, and that sort of stuff, and, you know, he breaks it down into body positions and things like that, which... You know, he's sort of saying, when you look at some of these body positions, is that the way you want the body to be? Like, because that's the way you're going to force the body to become if you're, um, if you're just following what, what other so-called experts uh, have suggested is the way to do it rather than basing it on, you know, the form and function of the body. So That's super interesting. That's it. Ian King sounds like he's... Do you know PTA Global and their system, like their client-centric approach? And yeah, we, we did a lot of that when I was working at Virgin. We had a partnership with uh, PTA Global and 
we had to do a lot of their online stuff. So like you know, their stuff's of, really good. Like that client-centered approach and the personality matching the training to their training personality. Yeah. It's like when I brought that into what I was doing, just clicked straight away. Like a lot of trainers take a bit to learn this part, but like a lot of people just will never ever like the gym and fun. Like it's still only 15% of people go to the gym anyway or something like that. And like PTA, I will sort of like what Ian King's saying, like there's the working with the client or working with whoever it is you're working with to figure out the best way forward that will suit them is the way to go. And it sounds like what Ian's talking about too. Yeah. Like the, you know, we, we, um, you know, try and force people into certain movements or that, you know, the square peg in the round hole sort of thing is like, you know, and I've seen it with the experience I've had in the industry. If, you know, you love CrossFit, then unfortunately your clients will more than likely, um, end up training like CrossFitters because your unconscious bias, or for some people their conscious bias, just means that they've decided that, that because I, I've got great benefit from it or I love it that everybody else um, should love it as well and that that's the only way that you're going to train and it's like, like you're actually doing the, the person in front of you a massive disservice because you know, it, you're basically just trying to turn them into yourself rather than actually, um, you know, you know, working with their strengths and, and working with their um, needs and wants and, and, you know, as well as disregarding the fact that, you know, some people are not built for certain kinds of movements. They're, for, for whatever reason, they're, they're genetic, you know, whatever their genes decided that the shape of their body was going to be, that, that you know, for some people that certain exercises and movements are never going to be suitable for them. Yeah. But... Yeah, so for me, I think the um, yeah the next thing I'll be experimenting with is uh, the flexibility and the stretching stuff because um, yeah I've noticed there's a few areas in my body where I think after certain exercises that um, you know I, I don't feel great after them. I only do it because I, I kind of like the exercise rather than and I think that there must be some kind of length tension problem going on with certain areas that's leading to um, issues so and it was interesting on one of his stretching videos he he's he's always asking questions rather than telling people this is what you should be doing and you should be doing this and that it's more like being investigative like asking questions and stuff and um you know whenever anybody said anything it's like well you know what's what where is this coming from there's got to be a dominant paradigm you know, that's driving these these sorts of ideas and thoughts that you haven't come to that conclusion on your own. Um, I mean, obviously, if you, you don't have a lot of experience as a coach, then you may, you know, initially defer back to people with more experience. But, you know, the more experience you have with clients, the, the greater um, ability you're going to, to, to have, um, you know, more objective thinking and not oh, just yeah. tied, tied to one one thing, you know, that there's only one way to do stuff when, you know, there's not. But, you know, one of the, the things that I got from one of his videos, which was absolutely sort of um, groundbreaking for me, was um, there was a lady doing a hips, hip stretch and she was complaining that she couldn't get into this um, position um, because her hip just didn't want to go there. He basically said um, if you're trying to stretch your glutes by putting a 
I can't remember what it's called, but where you lay, your, you stand in front of a bench or something, you lay your leg flat on the bench. Oh, so yeah. Your oh. knee out in front of you. Yep. And it's like one of those sort of external rotation type stretches. Yep. And in the video, the woman, you could see, was just struggling to get into that position. And he was basically saying that the glute, glute mass is one of the hardest muscles to try and get to relax. Like if you put it in a position where it can't relax, it just hangs on because it's so strong that you'll never get it to do what you want it to do because it's just, it, you're never going to overpower it. So he took this lady from a standing position and got her to lay on the floor and got her into a position where she felt quite relaxed and then just uh, just worked in this, in this position and then just um, moved her hips a little bit closer to the wall and just did these very small incremental um, improvements in a stretch to the point where he created an environment where the glutes and the hip muscles felt like they could relax so that she could get a better stretch rather than standing up and being in a standing position where already the glutes switched on and as soon as you lay that leg on the table the glutes are like nah we won't go anywhere here because you're trying to force me past the position I want to go to so for me that was kind of a it was a little bit of a revelation because I'd never thought about stretching like that even though that you tell clients it's like this is about getting the muscle to relax but I was not putting the clients in a position where the muscles could relax it was like it was almost counterproductive um, what I was trying to do and and like good, good clients, they would just do whatever they, I asked them to do because I was the trainer. When you know, I wasn't using any logic, really. I was just doing what I'd read in books or what other people had told me to do rather than actually trying to you know, determine it for myself. So I suppose that's a big thing too is like as we grow as trainers, we learn new things. And the amount it's changed since when I started, and it's only that was 2010, and it was... I always call it like the bash and crash type of mobility work. Like not picking on Kelly Starrett, but Kelly Starrett stuff. I oh, use yes. a lot sticking because those, it was like, it seemed to work a lot. those kettlebell handles in like some of that stuff that he was, he was doing. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like, like I like did torture. that stuff. And I got clients to do heaps of that stuff. And some of it worked, some of it didn't. Then I had to find new ways because it wasn't working. And then I started looking at like original strength and how they stay inside the movement bubble and grease open the joints as you go into more difficult movements, but that still has to be easy. You've got to be able to do everything breathing through your nose. If you have to breathe through your mouth, you've gone too far. It's too painful. And yes, another one was, I can't remember his first name, someone glass and he, he brought out a book called elasticity and he talks about same, pretty much the same thing as the movement bubble where to find the range you go go into the stretch just before it starts getting super tight, but it's comfortable. And then you come back out of it and then go back into it and breathe and use your breath to gradually open up, but never go to when I, when I talk to clients now and even in the big group classes, I do a lone dog. Don't go to poo face in stretching. Poo face yeah. is too far. Yep. And I think that's, you know, that, that, um, yeah, it's just, it was, it was something that, I think you get comfortable with doing certain things and, and you're like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. And it, it just, you just never take the time to actually think about, you know, am I actually doing this person? Um, am I actually improving them? Or am I just reinforcing, you know, what's already existing and actually making it worse? And, you know, it's even when the more of Ian King stuff you read, I mean, he's, he's quite vocal in the fact that he believes that strength and conditioning um, has actually gone backwards and that we actually, the, the, the current 
um, style of training with a lot of athletes and stuff when they get injured is it comes down a lot to the, the training that's being done. You know, there's not enough an emphasis on uh, stretching and flexibility and quality of movement like that. And that, you know, the, the athletes are going out there and doing these these sports and stuff with bodies that um, that aren't ready to um, be pushed as far as they're going to be pushed by these by these um, these athletes, and you end up with knee injuries or torn hamstrings. Like he used one example in an article I read about an athlete that had ripped the hamstring off the bone, and he'd never had a hamstring injury in his career, and his coach and everybody couldn't work out why he he got an injury when he never had a predisposition to hamstring injuries, and he was suggesting that it was because you know, the, the the training that was being done was actually setting him up to get injured. Yeah, right. I mean, he's a twenty-five year veteran of the strength and conditioning um, industry, so you know he's trained Olympic level athletes. He's worked with a lot of high level uh, people, um, and. You know, he's almost in a position to, to be able to do that because of his pedigree. Um, so, you know, it's it, it's another point of view, and you know, it, it, it's you know, some people may see it as inflammatory and in uh, being that critical, but you know, um, I just think it's it, it's it's an interesting point of view that that kind of goes against um, what's the the common mode of thinking. In health and fitness, so it's um, it's made me, you know, think about things that I've been prescribing for people and and telling people over the years. So hopefully, I'm I'm becoming a, a better you know, uh, trainer because of it. While I may not be working with um, people one on one, I'm still you know advising people of things to do. So if I can improve that, um, then it, it's you know for the people that are. Uh, taking on board what I'm saying and, and listening to me, then you know, it can only be a good thing for them. Yeah, I think so. And I think constant growth is important for everyone. So I think as trainers, if we're not continuously learning new things and trying different things to get the better response that we want for our clients, which is bigger, better, but better, stronger looking, awesome humans. So we are trying to help everyone achieve stuff faster. And the only way we can sort of, faster and safer, but to be able to give the best service, we have to continuously keep learning too. So I think yeah, people understand yeah. that, which is yeah. good. And I mean, I'm always trying to find ways that, you know, I don't want to rest on my laurels kind of kind of thing that, you know, um, and I think sometimes these things land in your lap at the most fortuitous times as well. You know, it's, it, it's funny, you know, the ways sometimes you know, the way the universe works, it, 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 it's almost, you know, like fate has, um, has you know, led you down this path and it, you was, at some stage you were supposed to meet these people and, and be influenced by them um, to make you, a, you know, ask better questions and challenge yourself, I suppose. Yeah, I agree. Like the stuff that I've signed up for, to learn continuing education wise that I didn't do anything for like, I started it, but it didn't, wasn't hitting me and I just left it for two years and went back to it. And then it was like, bang, it hit me like a ton of bricks and it made complete sense. And I was able to fit it into whatever system I was doing and it worked. 
But if I forced myself through at the time, I would have just I would have just thrown it away to the side because it wasn't really clicking with me. Oh, that's so like that coming at the right time, like you said, yeah. you, everything always ends up happening to you whenever it's meant to happen to you. I do believe in that a bit. And it's, I think it goes back to what I was saying before about, you know, when you were saying when you'd studied stuff before and it just didn't click for you or maybe you weren't ready to, to be yeah. challenged in that, in that way because maybe your, your knowledge base wasn't um, broad enough or, you know, I just think, you know, even five years ago with some of the stuff that I've been reading lately, I just wasn't ready to, to comprehend it or understand it. You know, it's like I had to, I just, you know, be in the wilderness for a little bit and still experiencing things and, you know, that, you know, maybe a little bit older and a little bit wiser, I'm, you know, now ready to, to be a little bit more um, objective in my thinking rather than just being, you know, sort of closed, closed off. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, mate, I've got to wrap it up now. So yeah, cool. I might say thanks for listening, guys. We went, we did talk about lots of random stuff today, but I think it's good to sort of flesh out the thought process that we both go through as coaches and how we test things out before we try it on or before we even think about even putting it into someone else's program. Well, I think everything has value. Yeah. I think don't be scared to try anything just because somebody says that it's... Um, that it's not good or it's or that you shouldn't do it because I think you know at the end of the day you, you you've got a you've got a brain and you can you know make your own choices and and decisions and see how it affects you so yeah you know, I'm always you know, just try it if it doesn't work and try something else until it until you find something that does work and then you know just do the hell out of it until it doesn't work as Dan John says. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, thanks heaps for listening, guys. And Darren will be back probably in another couple of episodes and we'll start pick up another topic. If you have any topics you want us to cover, shoot us through questions, shoot us through in the comments, leave reviews on iTunes, all that kind of good stuff. But thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. And thanks for your time, Chris. No worries, man. I'll just press stop. Thanks again for listening to the Move, Eat and Re-Energize podcast show. If you're getting a ton of value out of this, could you please do us a favor and leave us a review on iTunes and share it around social media so we can get the word out about this show and how it's helping people become stronger, leaner and more awesome every day. If you are currently stuck and struggling on how to get move forward and to get to strong, lean and awesome... We are doing free 30-minute phone calls right now where I'll jump on the phone with you and we'll just talk about how to get you unstuck and move forward and get to help you overcome whatever obstacles are in your way right now so you can start moving towards the best version of you. If you want to get one of these phone calls, just go to our website, thecjrubric.com and click on the get Give 5, Get 25 link. That will take you to our scheduling page and you can book it in with me. And it's completely free. There's no hard sales at the end. I just want to try and help as many people as possible to get unstuck and move forward. So, yeah, jump on the link and sign up and I'll talk to you on the phone. Thanks, guys.